this real quick, this kingdom, sorry. Had thy no Sorry, um, brothers, this is just, I just, it's, it's just strong in my mind. Last um, couple Sundays ago, the pastor Grady led everyone into a, a time of coming forward for needs. But there are a lot of needs still present and uh, line in the song that we sang last week brought me to tears while we were rehearsing it, the, the hymn of heaven. And the line where it says, Sometimes we sang these songs of faith through doubt and tears. Faith is a fight, and there are casualties. And um, I just want to say, if anyone has a need, we don't have to have an altar call, but if you have a need, maybe now's the time for you just to bring it to the Lord. We'll go to the second song. Just pray. before the Lord if while we sing this next song. Savior, hear my 
Hear my heart, oh cry. 
health issues. There's a cold and COVID and flu and other things that's going around. We ask you for healing, Lord. Let that virus just run through this system real quick. Lord, because of not what the news says or what's on the news, but the economy is rough for a lot of us. There's financial needs, God. We ask you to supply our own needs, oh God. Just give us this day our daily bread. We have unsaved loved ones that we've been praying for. Children, siblings, parents. We ask you for salvation, Lord, for those we've been praying for. We know you're coming very soon, Lord. We're going to see them in the clouds with us, Lord, when we go up. And all these things and many other needs, God, we just bring them before your throne in the name of Jesus. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. First song. Hallelujah. Glorious day.
chains break at the weight of your glory. I need a shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven.
Scripture reading this morning is taken from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and it reads as follows. Brethren, if anyone is overtaken in any in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I want to say one more thing. Great is thy faithfulness. And we may dismiss our children. Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. Just a quick reminder that after the service today, we're going to be having the brief, uh, I did say brief, Norman and Jack, uh, business meeting. Just kind of give you an update of, of who we are and where we are financially and all that kind of stuff. We do that about once a year. And then after that, we're going to have lunch. We've got pizza coming in. We've got salad. We've got everything you need to walk away full. But before we get to the food for our stomach, we're going to get to the food for our soul and our spirit here this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll open to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 4 there. And our title this morning is, Restoration is Essential for the Church. So Father, I ask that you speak to us this morning, that you open our ears to hear, that we understand, Lord, that this is a message this morning that we all need to apply. Knowledge is great. We, we say this often. We, we want more knowledge. We want more information. But what good is knowledge if it's not going to be applied into the hearts and minds of your people? For truly, application is more important than just knowledge alone. So I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Give us wisdom, understanding. And let us walk away today, Lord, uh, ready and prepared to love one another the way you called us to, Lord, even in the midst of darkness and 
sometimes even ugliness, Lord, when it comes to restoration in the church, it's something very important that we that we look at. So we just ask, Lord, that you will speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at how we need to always put our plans before the Lord and be spiritually flexible when stating our intentions. And first, this is for the one who's stating their plans to make sure that he, he lays it out if the Lord wills. Anything that we come up with, even in our prayer time, when we seek the Lord and we ask and, and put our supplications before the Lord, when we make our plans, it's all before the Lord. And we need to always say, Lord, if this is your will, and we need to make sure that we don't make a statement so absolute that it can cause hurt or offense to someone else when things don't necessarily take place the way that we intended them to. And then secondly, for the listener, that we don't just hear what we want to hear and they react out of our hurt or offense, if you will, to someone else. We want to hear and, and we want to make sure that we're not reacting because hurt feelings and offense, it's pretty much the same thing. It, it comes down to anger for the most part. That's how it's going to come across. I'm hurt. Well, are you really hurt? Did I really, are your feelings really hurt or are you just mad? <laughs> are you really offended or are you just mad because you're not getting what you want? So it's all of these things that we have to lay before the Lord, both what we speak and then what we hear. Paul was very clear in his words to the Corinthian church when he said, and this is in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, is regarding his plan to come visit them. He said, therefore, when I was planning this, do I do it lightly? Or things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? After Paul made this plan to go visit, he realized that it wouldn't be a good idea for him to go at that time. It would bring more grief than hope and help because of the things that the Corinthian church were dealing with. Now, I personally believe that Paul was hearing from the Holy Spirit when he changed his plans to go. I think his, his intention was, listen, I'm coming. We're going to deal with some issues. He went. He dealt with some issues. And he said, I'm going to plan on coming back. But as he's circling back through Macedonia and he's on his way back through, he says, you know, I'm just... In my spirit, I don't think it's a good thing for me to come because there's still things that I feel like I might say that might bring more wounding than healing to you. So I believe the Spirit convicted him and said, don't go right now. Now maybe, had his heart not been so heavy toward them, the Spirit would have allowed him to go. See, Paul was a man. Paul also had to deal with his emotions and process things just like we do. No man is above all of that. Jesus even dealt with the same things we deal with. He was just in control of them all, whereas we typically are not. And so Paul is one of these men that said, okay, it's really not best for me to come now. You guys need a little time to process the first visit <laughs> before I come back and stir it up again. Now, there's an issue that Paul is addressing and going to address. We're going to see that in our study this morning. And one particular area in the body of Christ is still an issue today. And that's specifically the balance between church, church discipline and then restoration. There's a very big dividing line there in the body of Christ, particularly here in the United States. 
But let's begin, and we'll cover this as we go through. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything... I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, but we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, most scholars and myself believe this as well, that this in part of Paul's letter, he's referring to an individual who had fallen into a wicked sin. We read about him back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go back and reread that, beginning with verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you're puffed up, having that not rather mourned that he's done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly do not mean with sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. (laughs) But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. So Paul wrote in his first letter that this blatant sin that this man was involved in had to be dealt with through church discipline. It was something that had to be done. 
It wasn't a choice. See, this is a problem that we have today in the church. We have so many different uh, views and attitudes toward things. We've got the, the, the all-love movement. They take the attribute of, attribute of God's love, and it's all about love, so you can pretty much do whatever you want to because God loves you, and He's going to save you no matter what. They eliminate sin from the discussion. They eliminate repentance from the discussion because, really, God doesn't need all of that. He loves you so much that He's just going to embrace you along with your sin. No, God embraces you where you are, but He does not embrace your sin. He meets you where you are to bring you away from where you are into His presence. So there's no room for both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. But that is a positive message I say positive from the ones that are saying it, that, you know, listen, God just loves everybody. He's, we're all brothers and sisters. That's another lie, too, by the way. We're not all brothers and sisters. We're all creation of God. But we're not all brothers and sisters. What makes us a brother or sister? It's a relationship with Jesus Christ who brings us into the Father, into relationship, and we're adopted in. Without Jesus, I'm sorry, we're not related. Well, you can say, well, we all came back from Adam originally. Yeah. But we are not the old person anymore. We've been born again. And when you're born again, you're born into the family of God. So therefore, you are born. It is, it is exclusive. I'm sorry. Christianity is exclusive. Nobody wants to talk about that. They won't, Oh, no, that's, that's today's society. You can't talk about excluding anybody from anything. So what are you going to give them? A, a participation medal for, for being a family of God? No. No, you have to know Jesus. That is the only way. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus' words. If you don't believe that, then you're already off base in a relationship because you don't have one. You're calling him a liar. Jesus spoke it. He meant it when he said it. So we have to come to this understanding that we are, we are all part of the body of Christ through Jesus, but then we have to then take the Word of God and apply it in the church, and we cannot say it's okay for this to go on. And that's what the Corinthian church was doing. This man was sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul said, not only did you not do anything about it, you're glorying in the freedom. See, here's another aspect of the, of the United States church. We're free. We have the freedom. We can do whatever we want. We're free to this and we're free to do that. Listen, Paul said all things are, are possible, but not all things are acceptable or should I be doing all these things. We have freedoms, but we also have the fact that we're in relationship with Jesus and we surrender our freedoms to him, not to feed our flesh any longer, but to feed our spirit. We're to feed our spirit on the Word of God. And when we do that, we begin to see everyone, I say everyone, sociopaths may have something missing in their brain, I don't know, but most everybody has the ability to know right from wrong. It's just in us. But then beyond that, it's not my right and you're wrong. There has to be an absolute somewhere. God is the absolute. Jesus and His Word is the absolute. If we don't take that into our hearts and into our minds and chew on that, then we're going to be able to say, well, that's your absolute, but it's not mine. And that's what's going on in our culture today. My truth versus your truth. Don't put your truth on me because I don't agree with that truth. I was born a man, but I'm a woman now. And that, you can't do that. 
Now, you can have all the surgery and have all the hormone treatment, but that doesn't change the core person of who you are. You're born how you're born. You have those chromosomes. That's what you are. You can lie to yourself all day long. doesn't change the fact of who you are. Biology no longer matters anymore. They don't look at biology as truth anymore. They don't look at science. It's my science. It's pseudoscience. It's whatever they want it to be. But as a Christian, there is an absolute. His name is Jesus. He absolutely loved you enough to die for you. He absolutely loves you enough to draw you into his presence. He absolutely loves you enough to teach you the truth and to hold on to the truth and to live that truth. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're not in relationship with him. You're just in some religious sect that you can do and make it whatever you want it to be. And Paul is drawing this to a conclusion. He said, listen, you have to understand what this person is doing is wrong. And you have to deal with it through church discipline. Now, we have to make sure we understand that this person was a part of the Corinthian church. He was coming regularly. He was probably having lunch with them. Probably came every Sunday or every meeting they had. While he was practicing this sin, and evidently the church was aware of it, and they did nothing to deal with it. Now, Paul's writing seems harsh here, but he was using it as a wake-up call to the church. He said, listen, you guys have drifted off base. You've drifted from the truth. If you were following God's truth, you would not have allowed this to continue, and you would have dealt with it by now. If this individual had not been a brother, then they would have dealt with it differently. They would have dealt with it differently. They would have been continually pouring Jesus into him, and if he didn't receive it, he would have probably left. He probably wouldn't have hung around. But this person was saying, I believe, saying I'm part of the church, saying I'm one of you, but yet living a life that goes completely against the word of God. See, we present the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, and we pray that they'll receive his truth and pray that they will repent from the fleshly nature that we're all in bondage to when we're born. This person, this sin may look ugly, and you look at this sin. Paul even said it's a sin that even that's not even seen among the Gentiles. So this is not something that was normally seen, particularly in the body of Christ. And, and so you can look at that, and you can elevate the sin. What he was doing was bad. And you can elevate that, but then at the same time, you have to look at your own self and understand that you may not be doing that, but if you're not right with Jesus, if you've not received Jesus, you're still in bondage to sin yourself, and you can't put one sin against another. That's what happens in the fleshly mindset of some Christians. Well, at least I'm not doing that. I'll take, I'll take that, that speck out of my brother's eye. But I don't want to look at that plank in my own. And so we then decide what sin is bigger and what sin is smaller. And Paul here says, listen, this sin is bad. It shouldn't be going on. It needs to be out of the church completely. We need to get rid of it. The thing is, is that Christians struggle with some sins in the flesh. They do. As long as we live in this tent, we're going to have struggles between the flesh and the spirit. Paul wrote about that. The, the spirit wrestles against the flesh. The flesh wrestles uh, against the spirit. 
And if someone is a Christian stumbles and they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they're accountable to repent, deny the control of the flesh. That's the truth of the Christian walk. Some people struggle. Some people fall into certain things. If they are hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit when they fall and they that conviction weighs upon them and they repent. They're not to be kicked out of the church. They're to be counseled. They're to be encouraged. They're to be poured into. Instead of pushing somebody away, we're supposed to be pouring into them. This person that Paul is writing about was not listening to any conviction if there was any at that point in his life. He was very content with the sin he was involved in. The church was not bringing it up as to deal with it, so it was just going to keep going on. And it was going to continue on and on and on. In this particular case, this individual who was not responding to the conviction of the Spirit and was actively engaged in this sin, believing that God is okay with it, another lie. God doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't. He will deal with sin. And it can, it can go and it can weigh on you and weigh on you and weigh on you, but when God says it's time to deal with it, it's time to deal with it, and he will make it happen, and then you've got to go through it and you've got to deal with it. The church was affirming his belief by not dealing with it. Now, whether they were just people, all of the all the leaders of the church were just didn't like conflict, <laughs> didn't want to have that conflict, so they just kind of let it sit. I kind of believe it was more than that. I believe that they were like, well, you know, teach his own. You know, everybody can have their own thing. Everybody can do their own thing. As long as he's not hurting us, as long as he's not hurting me, we'll just let it kind of sit over there. We won't bring it up. We don't want to talk about it. And that's an area in the church, too. When people are wounded many times, they don't want to talk about it. And the other people don't want them to talk about it. Oh, that's too heavy of a subject. We can't discuss that. We can't, we can't talk about that. We can't deal with that. Just kind of keep it under the rug. God's going God's gonna to deal with it. He'll work it all out in time. Just We, we don't want to discuss it. Well, that's wrong. Paul said very specifically back in chapter 1, we do judge the church. As believers, we judge by the word of God, not by ourselves, not by our minds, not by what we think, but by what the word of God says. It's okay to do that. And if a Christian that you're talking to is in a sin and you say, you know, this doesn't line up with God's word. Oh, don't judge me. Well, I'm not. I'm not the one that brings judgment. I'm pointing out what God's Word says. You say you believe God and you believe His Word, but you're not in alignment with it. That's a responsibility of the church to deal with. In love, gently, at least at first. But when it comes down to it, if there's no repentance, it needs to be dealt with. And that's where church discipline comes into play. And today in some church circles, it's happening the same way. The sexual cultural lies have come in the front door and rather than adhering to God's word and standing against the culture, they welcome these lies and call it love and acceptance for all. And you can see it. They put the little flags out on the lawns. Everybody's loved. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's accepted. Well, in Christ, everyone is welcome to hear the truth. 
Everyone is welcome to understand who Jesus is. But not many or not all will. Because they don't want to give up what they want. Their lifestyle. Their lie. They don't want to give that up. God's truth does not change. And some churches have allowed homosexual and lesbian pastors in the pulpit. Accepting that God is okay with it. And these churches today are the ones that Paul would be addressing in this letter right here and right now. Saying, no, this is not right. You need to stand on God's word in these situations. You need to bring truth into this situation. And it's not just an individual. When you're allowing these, these individuals to preach and teach the body of Christ in a lifestyle that's completely opposite of what jesus says and the word of god teaches there's a problem here but the united states church has weakened and the reason it's weakened is because the people have gotten so many distractions and these distractions have led them to fulfill their own fantasies their own desires you know the the word says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is just money. It's not evil. It's what you do with it. But if you have it, and you have a lot of it, there are many temptations that are no longer distant for you anymore. Oh, I can go buy cocaine anytime I want and still have plenty of money. Oh, I can go fulfill whatever desire I have. I've got the money to do it. I've got, I, and, and so the mind then starts thinking about all the things the flesh wants to do, and you have the money to back it up, therefore the temptations are stronger. And then again, what I was saying about the, temp the, the fact that we're distracted, you've got every television ad is promoting something that you probably don't need or, need or want, or, or it's not even biblical in some cases. But, oh, you want this because you deserve it. Look how hard you've worked. You deserve to drive a Lexus. Or Mercedes. You deserve to have this or have that. And so it's fed. And the more it's fed, and the more we have excess to get to it, then the mind's going to draw us in. And this is where Paul is saying, listen, we have a discipline. And I don't know if you guys notice it or not, but one of the fruit of the spirit fruits of the spirit is self control. Oh, we don't want to talk about that one though. I want the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, goodness, all that. I want all that. But that self-control stuff, if I want it, I want it, I want it now. That's the flesh rising up. And the Spirit is saying, yeah, but you don't need that. It's not going to be good for you. Is, is some things that we desire wrong? No. The thing may not be wrong. A lot of it is. But some of it's not. It just might be the fact that it's not good for us. <laughs> because if we had it, would we be glorifying God in it? Or would we we'd be driving that new car around town so everybody could see us in it? You know, putting it out on the street, washing it, you know, washing your car. You know, got car washes now, but people want to wash those nice cars out in the driveway because everybody can see it. Look, I'm not, I'm not condemning you if you have a nice car. I'm not, it has really nothing to do with that. What I am saying is, is that 
we as believers have to be careful that we discipline ourselves to where we're able to hear the Holy Spirit when he says no, and then we obey that. Because once we give in to this, the next thing is right around the corner, then right around the corner, and the next thing we know, we're desiring all of these things, and Jesus has been put on the shelf. We have, we're not even looking to him anymore. We're not seeking him anymore. Because we've got all we need. Or, at the time, because you're going to want more. The flesh is never satisfied. And it constantly wants to be fed. But Paul would have been addressing the churches today. Now, I want to mention this too. He also mentions here, this applies to adulterers, fornicators. It applies to revilers and drunkards. It applies, it, it applies to everyone who is not reigning their flesh in control and they're allowing, to, they're allowing themselves to live in the flesh while calling themselves believers. Now, this transgender movement today has adopted, the media's adopted it. You see, they're a little darling right now. And our government has also adopted it. And rather than exposing for what it is, they're encouraging it. And welcoming it. Our schools are indoctrinating our children. And we're being told that we have to conform or we're labeled haters and the offenders of society because we're not allowing people to be who they are. Well, God's word is true. God's word is absolute. And we as Christians have to stand on the word of God, not on what the culture tells us, not on what the media tells us, not on what the government tells us. We are to obey the laws of the land until those laws of the land override God's law. And therefore, we stand on God's law. Let the chips fall where they may. Well, what if I get in trouble? What if I go to jail? God will deal with you there and protect you there and guard you, and he will use you there, very possibly. We're going to suffer for the name of Jesus. This is what the Word of God tells us. Suffering is part of a relationship with God. But we can't be following the latest cultural movement. Oh, well, that sounds good. Oh, that looks good. We can't welcome that into the church. So Paul's word to them at that time was remove this person from among them. Turn him over to Satan so he could see the lie that he was believing for what it is. That he would actually come to the point of recognizing this is not good. And he even said to the destruction of the body, basically saying, listen, when you go all in and you give him over all in, he's going to be affected physically because it will kill you. It will eat at you. It will bring you into a place of sickness even. And so they did this very thing. Now coming back to our text this morning, evidently this individual had repented. That the church would not receive him back into fellowship. And this is a danger zone. This is what really leads into the point today. Church discipline is important. It needs to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listening to the power of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be done through the leadership of the church. It needs to be done appropriately. And we all have read in Matthew, I think it's chapter 18, where it says, hey, listen, you know, if, if, if you've got an issue here, you go and deal with this person. And if they don't hear you, then you go bring someone else, a witness or two. And if they still don't hear you, then you come back to the church. And it's dealt with publicly. 
That's the process of how things in the body of Christ should be done. And evidently, like I said, once the Corinthian church brought this whole thing into exposure and pushed him out, he now repents, but they're not willing to forget or forgive. And again, this is a pretty big sin. If you want to look, if you want to elevate sins, this is a big one. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, you got to be kidding me, sleeping with his father's wife. But we elevate sin today as well. We elevate certain sins over other ones. And by doing so, it's harder for us then to forgive some sins than it is others. It's very difficult to, to, to forgive child abuse, sexual child abuse. And I'm going to tell you something. There are many... The reason that they can't forgive it is because they haven't forgiven those that maybe have offended them. It's still weighing on them. They're still, it's a burden for them, and they can't forgive. Well, how do I forgive someone who does something like that? How do I forgive someone who's wounded a child? How do I forgive someone who, who, who murdered someone? How do I forgive someone? How do we do that? Listen, here's the thing. In relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to come first and foremost to understand He's forgiven us. He's forgiven us from any of our trespasses, which may be uglier or not so ugly, according to our standards or, or man's mindset, but they're still there. And so we have to come to Him and say, okay, well, if He can forgive me, then He tells me, now I have forgiven you, you have to forgive others. Oh, well, that's everybody except. And I'll let you guys plug in the line there and whoever that might be or whenever that might be or whatever that might be. Can't forgive that. Oh, you just don't understand. You don't understand what I went through. You don't understand the pain. You don't understand the sorrow. Listen, I may not, ex I may not understand everything that has happened to any individual because some things have happened to me that you wouldn't understand. Some things have happened to you that I wouldn't understand. But I do know this, we have to give it to God. We have to give it over. If we don't do that individually, then what happens when we come together corporately, we have the same problem because corporately, oh no, that person did something that, that's just, that, that's just so wrong. But they repented. They've turned their heart to the Lord. They no longer have that struggle. They no longer walk in that lifestyle. They're no longer, yeah, but they did. And that is... It's just too big. Can't deal with it. Now I mentioned last Sunday of a pastor that I knew that had this problem. He was abused as a child. And then he had a, an abuser that was arrested, convicted, served time, found Jesus, repented, and was coming to church. Now let me say that there are still guards and things you put into place if these things happen. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, it's just completely forgotten. And you, no, you have, to, you have to have trust, and there, there are things that you just don't put, you don't put them in children's ministry, okay? You don't, you don't do these things. However, if they've repented and their heart is with Jesus, we have to forgive the offense of what they caused, and then we have to welcome them in the brotherhood or sisterhood of Christ, but then we still 
have guards and things in place. That's what we should do. But this particular pastor could not deal with him. Just, just He couldn't be around him. Because it kept bringing up. Every time he saw him, he saw the person that abused him. Every time he saw him, he saw the person that wounded him. And he couldn't deal with it. Well, that person eventually had to leave that church because he couldn't be welcomed there. Now, this is not the way the church is supposed to operate. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to have issues that you're still working out. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying you're going to be best friends with all these people. That's not what I'm saying either. What I'm saying is, is that we individually first have to come to the place of biblical understanding of forgiveness. And then corporately we come together and we can then submit these things under the Lord. And we can walk together with people who have had bad stuff in their life. We can. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Now there may have been some in the Corinthian church that were really upset with this guy. A lot of them didn't care, didn't seem like. Didn't want a big offense to them. But rather than welcome him back, they, they, they pushed against. They said, no, no, we're not going to do this. Now, I also want to say here, too, when we forgive, it doesn't mean that we forget. Just forgive and forget is not biblical. <laughs> That's something that we've all kind of come up with and added on. You forgive and forget. No, you forgive and what you're doing when you forgive is you're releasing judgment of that person from you. It's now in God's hands. You've released the judgment. But you don't forget if there's a serious wounding that's taken place. You don't forget it. And trust is broken. And there's a difference between trust and forgiveness. Big difference between trust and forgiveness. You can forgive to the point to where you see the person, you're no longer holding contempt and judgment over them, but you don't necessarily need to be alone with them. Now, if they repent, and once they've repented, relationships can be restored. But that's all working this out in a relationship with God. If the church, when one repents, is forgiven by God, Sometimes the body isn't so forgiving. And again, this is particularly true of sexual sin. It's the most personal. It cuts the deepest in the core of our being. We tend to look at sexual sin, particularly what we would call perverted sexual sin, is, is one that we're not to forgive. That's just over the line, can't do it, won't do it. I've heard this statement from people that said they were Christians. God's reserved a, reserved a special place in hell for anyone who's done, you fill in the blank. Now, I'm not one to say if there's varying degrees of hell. I'm not that educated. <laughs> That's between God and those who die in their sin and are separated from him. There is, however, an absolute that is found in Scripture. When one receives Jesus and repents from any sin and they're forgiven and their sin is covered in the blood of Jesus just like your sin just like my sin
And who am I to hold someone in contempt and judgment of their life before Jesus? Paul said it a while ago. We're not to judge the world. I can't judge an individual. But if they've received Jesus, are they not a new creation? Just like I am, just like you are. So what Scripture says, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That applies to anyone who meets Jesus and, and goes into relationship with him. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, he's not speaking a generic statement there. I don't see unless your sin was not what it says. In Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And again, nowhere in Scripture do we find these verses are only true in certain cases. Or it includes everything except the X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And again, in Christ, there are no exceptions. He doesn't list a whole list of, well, these don't count. If one has truly met Jesus, they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells them. And they have been set free from the law of sin and death, just as we have. And we are not to look at them in their past life and judge them for it. We're to walk as brothers and sisters. And again, go in wise as serpents, gentle as doves, and minister with them, minister to them. I'm going to be honest with you. If you've wounded someone and you become a believer, the guilt will probably never go away. Oh, they, they've received the freedom of forgiveness from God. They've walked in, in a relationship with Jesus. But there's probably not a day that goes by to where there's something that they think of. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I hurt that person. Now, you may say, well, what about the ones who don't repent? Well, we still forgive them, put them in God's hands. But as I said earlier, trust is broken I would encourage you not to be in relationship with them. Forgiveness, again, is different than trust. That has to be restored, and that trust can only be truly restored if there's repentance on their part and if there's a new creation on their part and they have changed and come into Jesus. Now, once the Corinthian church acknowledged this man's sin and dealt with it, they evidently washed their hands of him. And even though he repented, they would not allow restoration. Let's read 6 through 11 again. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. In other words, a punishment was, was needed, and it was sufficient. But on the contrary, now that you've done this, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him for to this end I also wrote that I might 
put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. See, Paul here, as he's writing this, he said, first, I gave you the first letter, and I told you what you had to do. You were obedient to that. Now, I'm giving you another set of, of, of rules. Well, I wouldn't say rules, but just things that you need to do. And I want to say, are you going to be obedient to that too? Because sometimes it's, it's easy to do one thing, but it's very hard to do the other. And Paul says, I'm writing this to you that you're obedient in all things. Church discipline, church restoration, both important in the body of Christ. In verse 10, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive, for I indeed have forgiven anything. I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Without appropriate restoration, it can leave one in shame and disgrace, even though God has forgiven him. Unforgiveness for those who have repented opens the door for Satan to stir up within the body something we call self-righteousness. We then decide what should be forgiven. We then decide what should be restored. We then in our own minds and in our own flesh and mind come up with, with the rules and regulations of how this is to be done. This is a device of Satan himself. Self-righteousness, he plays on it. And he feeds it. Now I will tell you, Satan is not around all the time. He doesn't have that ability. He's not omnipresent. But he's got a lot of demons. And I believe they're very organized. And I believe that they put them on the corners and they're watching every move that you're making. They can't make you do anything. But they can watch and see what your weaknesses are. And if they can play on the fact that, hmm, you know, this person... They're a little self-righteous. Let's feed that. Let's feed that self-righteousness. Oh, do you believe that person? Do you believe what they did? Do you believe that they call themselves a Christian? Do you believe? And they start feeding this stuff. Next thing you know, you're listening to this. And honestly, you don't know if it's you or the demon speaking, but one way or the other, you're buying into it. I can't believe it. You even have the discussion yourself. No, I can't believe it. Do you believe it? No, I don't. And you're having this whole discussion. Now, that's, that's a little definition of insanity right there, by the way. If you have this, just don't hit yourself in the argument, because once you do that, it really goes bad. And, you know, they put you in this room, padded room, you know. But Satan plays on our thoughts and our actions, and they seize what's going on. And so, therefore, he is always monitoring so he can find a way to bring us down. And self-righteousness in the body of Christ is one of those things. He feeds it. He'll take advantage of one's unwillingness to forgive and restore a brother or sister. That feeding us a lie that what they did was not forgivable. We'll even convince ourselves that their sin is too big for God's forgiveness. So then we justify ourselves in our own self-righteousness. And this itself is sin. This is sin too. Oh, well, I didn't go hurt anybody. They're the ones. They're the ones. I didn't hurt them. Yeah, but you're holding them in contempt. And by doing so, you're being in self-righteous place of judgment. And God says, I'm the only one who's the judge. And his word will be what judges them when they stand in front of Jesus. He even said so. He said, my words. He said, he said these people are, are rejecting my words. And my words that I speak are the words that will judge them. 
So we have to we have to learn to let these things go. We're putting ourselves in the judgment seat where only Jesus can sit. Second Corinthians five nine through eleven says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well with well pleasing to Him. But we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that each one may receive the things he's done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we're all, we're all well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciousness. Consciousness. So basically what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians, he said, listen, Christians are going to sit in the judgment. Sit in the judgment. Now, this is not the great white throne judgment. Don't get me wrong. This is not what this is. The great white throne judgment is for those who are going to stand before him that don't know him. But this judgment is what it's basically saying. Listen, you're still accountable to Jesus. It's not necessarily going to kick you out of heaven, but he's going to point out these areas you didn't deal with very well. And it's something that's going to take place. So today, as we study this and we go through this, this is one of those moments of self-examination that God calls us to. Are we willing to come before the Lord and, and be able to let go of our prejudices in the church? Are we willing to forgive and restore those who have truly re repented and are walking in newness of life no matter what the sin was? Now, I do want to reaffirm this point. If you've been wounded, particularly in a sexual sin, or know someone who has, you are commanded to forgive, but trust is something completely different. And if the offender has not repented, then you're not called to be in relationship with them. That's, again... The forgive and forget thing. No. Forgive because you're not holding them in judgment. But you also know that without Jesus, that's a pattern that will happen again and again and again because they are out of control. And they can't, they can't control it. And if you study and read anything about sociopaths and, and uh, serial killers in particular, a lot of them are sexually motivated in some weird, strange ways, but they are. And it's like almost every one of them, well, it just, I'm, it just, it comes over me. It comes over me. And that's demonic. There's no doubt in my mind it's demonic. But they are out of control. And so, therefore, they surrender to it when it hits. And sometimes it may be a month, a week, it could be a year. But when it comes over them, they act on it. And sexual predators are the same way. They have no control. And so we as believers have to come to the point of understanding that, listen, I can forgive, but I'm not going to forget. And if they do not repent, I'm not going to engage. Except if I'm in a forced situation to say Jesus loves you and he wants you to repent from what you've done and he can deliver you from this. But that doesn't mean that you go to their house and be alone with them. That doesn't mean that you have an intimate relationship with them. It means that you give them to God and guard yourself. And that's what we're called to do in that, in that situation. And again, trust can be restored if they've repented. But trust me, it will take time. It will take time. And you may never... Go back into certain relationship with certain people. But according to what Paul is saying here, 
And according to the word of God as a whole, we can still learn to receive them into the body without holding them in judgment any longer. And I just want to make it clear that I am not making light of any pain and any suffering that anyone has dealt with. It's, it's not good. It is very painful. And, it is, it, it, and as I said earlier, it cuts to the core of who we are. But God is bigger than that. He's bigger than that pain. He's bigger than that suffering. And He's bigger than that one who brought that pain to us. And we can come to a God who's all-powerful. And we can submit to Him. And we can let go. And we can give it over. And we can walk in peace. And that's what we're called to. See, there's no peace where there's no forgiveness. There's no peace where there's no forgiveness. There's always going to be an edge. There's always going to be a, when they see somebody or when they do this or do that. But when you've let it go, that starts to fade away. And it's no longer controlling you. Because you've submitted it to God and now you're in control of the Spirit and you're no longer walking in the flesh. What I'm saying is the pain is real. But in Christ, all things are possible to overcome when we submit to Him. Now this message this morning is a message of hope. It's a message of healing for those who have been wounded and for those who have done the wounding. So I want to encourage you this morning. I'm not going to do an altar call. I, I thought about it and I, and I just don't feel this is what we're supposed to do right now. But I do want to take a moment and, and just and just each of us bow our head. I'm not even going to look at you guys either. I'm not going to ask you to raise any hand. But for those this morning who have been wounded in some way like this, or for those who have done the wounding, we're not digging into people's past here this morning. We're not asking what, I, what lay out everybody's old sin. But I want you to know this morning that if you're in Christ, first for those who are the ones who have hurt people, there is forgiveness in Jesus. So, Father, I come right now and I just lift up. I don't know that anyone's here that may have had this issue in their life to where they had wounded other people in these ugly ways, Lord. And it's not, I mean, it is ugly. The sin is ugly. But Lord, if there's anyone here who has, or someone online, first for those maybe who have not dealt with this, have not given it to Jesus, have not repented, I ask, Lord, that you let them know and knock on the door of their heart that you are bigger than that sin and you can deliver them and you can set them free and you can restore them into a relationship with God. No sin is too big. And then for those who have been wounded, the pain is real. The scars are there. But this same God who can forgive the offender can also set you free from the unforgiveness and the self-righteousness sometimes that comes along with it because that was just too big. Can't let that one go. 
Father, I pray that you would set both of these groups free today who have a heart for that, that can receive you in full and in every sin, whether they were wounded or every sin where they brought the wounding, you are a bigger God than that. And so I just ask, Lord, that you examine our hearts, those who really are putting it before you this morning, that we say, Lord, examine my heart. Forgive what needs to be, what I've done, and then let me be a new creation in Christ so that I no longer walk in the pattern of whatever it was. And for those who have been wounded, that, that they are able to forgive those who wounded them so they are set free they're set free from the judgment seat and now they can walk in relationship with you and it brings so much healing that a lot of people need desperately, particularly in the body of Christ right now. May you do the work. May you do the healing. May you penetrate our hearts this morning in, a deep, in those areas that we've kind of locked away. Lord, our hearts are chambers. There are chambers in there that we've hidden a lot of stuff. Some of it we buried and thought we've forgotten, and in some cases consciously we have. But it still needs to be dealt with. May we come to the place we can say, Lord, here's the keys to every locked room of my heart. May you open it. And may the power of your Spirit gently bring me to the place where I w I'm able to see it, Deal with it. Let go of it. So that I'm free to be the person, the man or woman of the God you've called me to be. For you indeed, Lord, are a God of freedom. To set us free from the captives. Set us free from the bondage. Set us free from the sin. Set us free from the law of sin and death. You've done all that for us, Lord. May we... Now, in our hearts and our spirits, the deep inner parts of our soul and our being come to the place of understanding that. And then let that transfer into our minds, because our minds are the ones that typically keep us out of relationship with you in the ways you want us to be. But we give it all to you, Lord. We surrender it to you. And I pray that you will bring restoration to those who desperately need it, for those who have repented. I, bring you'll bring con I pray you'll bring conviction to those who are not in a place of repentance. That they may come to know you. And Lord, we lift up the lost to you. There are many people that are out there wounding people as we speak. There are many people out there who are being abused as we speak. There's, uh, this world is an ugly place. But greater are you that it is in us than he that is in the world. May we walk out our lives in a place of freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, and our relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to close out in a song and then take about a five-minute break, maybe a ten-minute break. We'll see how that goes. We'll get tables set up in the back. Food has been ordered. It's on the way. We'll have everything set up. But before we eat... Jack and Norman will do their brief presentations. I say brief again. Just kidding. You guys are always brief.
normally we eat afterwards. So we'll just do the quick meeting and then, we, you know, keep them hungry. They, they stay longer if they know they can eat later. Um, and, uh, again, he's just going to do a brief presentation on the state of the church, as we call it, our annual state of the, the address of the union, whatever you want to call it. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's always good information. So. All who are thirsty. The pain and the sorrow be washed away in the ways of his mercy as deep as thou to time. 